Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr Andrew Corbett. We're pleased you've been able to join us for the program. The heart is desperately sick because we are so quick to point the finger at someone else and we don't recognise our own heart. Have you ever tried to make sense of evil? Where does it come from? Have you considered that the very heart of man is deceitfully wicked? Not something we necessarily want to own, is it? Dr Corbett is in Jeremiah chapter 17 tonight as we look at the heart of the problem. Father, as we open up your word, we pray that your word would open up us. Lord, your word is described as a sword, as a knife, as a two-edged knife. And we pray, Lord, today that it would be a two-edged knife to our heart. That, Lord, it would be like the surgeon's knife cutting away cancer and it would be like the surgeon's knife bringing healing and the transplant that we so desperately need. Now, Lord, speak to us through your word, by your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's go to Jeremiah 17 and we're going to look at two verses and we're looking at what we might call the heart of the problem. The heart of the problem in these two verses is a wealth of truth that if you can grasp it, it will help you to see the world the way the world really is. Christianity doesn't offer you a mere alternative way of looking at the world. It offers you a window into the way the world really is. The heart of the problem. I want to ponder this question. What is it that makes the God of the Bible unique among world religions? For many people who don't understand either Christianity or world religions, we perhaps as Christians all sound as if we can just be lumped into this big basket called the religious lot. As if Christianity is just one of the many religions and I suppose if we think in terms of uh, religion and whether someone's religious or not, I guess Christianity may get a look in for them. It may not. But we're, we're seen as, you know, what's the big deal? Christianity, Islam, Judaism, Hinduism, Buddhism, uh, New Age, whatever you want to put in there, you're all on about the same God and ultimately you're all about the same thing. That's the perception Nothing could be further from the truth. So, what is it that makes the God of the Bible unique among world religions? Well, firstly, it's claims about the nature of God. Let's consider some of these world religions. See, Islam says there, there is one being with, who, who, who is one person. It's called monolithicism. Yeah, you thought it was, didn't you? You thought it was... Monolithic. To be monolithic is one thing. Um, and and that's, that's the Islamic concept of God. But this, this concept of God is quite different to the Christian concept of God. You see, in the, in the Islamic concept of God, he is ultimately, here's the word, pragmatic. Do you know what pragmatism is? Someone take a stab. Pragmatism is, if it works, do it. Pragmatism is based on if it works, do it. You've heard people go, well, let's be pragmatic. In other words, what you're talking about won't work. So let's be pragmatic. In other words, let's do something that will work. 
You know, there is a problem with pragmatism. It doesn't work. That's the problem. In other words, does does a, a, a bribe work? Oh, that's an interesting Bible study question. Does a bribe work? Book of Proverbs says, yes, it does. Is that in the Bible? Yeah, it's in the Bible. (laughs) The Bible says a bribe works. Now, it's not saying go ahead and bribe your heart out. It's just saying a bribe works. In other words, it's pragmatic. It will work. But a bribe corrupts the receiver and corrupts the giver and distorts justice and blinds the eyes of justice. Therefore, ultimately, a bribe will not work for the benefit of either the person giving it, receiving it, or society generally. So, what do we know about God? Number one, God is a person. God is a person. Number two, he, he is the cause of and therefore separate to creation. Three, he's eternal. It doesn't mean he's timeless. It means he's always been and will always be. Fourthly, he is immutable. Immutable means he won't change. Today he's loving, tomorrow he's whatever. No, that's right. Today he's loving, tomorrow he's loving. He will eternally be loving. Malachi 3.6, I am the Lord, I do not change. God is, if I was to ask you complete the following sentence, God is. Well, we could come up with some words and hopefully most of us would say God is love. Because he is. But that's only one sentence that starts off with God is in the Bible. Because God is just. God is holy. And for some people, they cannot marry loving, just and holy. But you should be able to. God is sinless. He's never sinned. Jesus stood before his accusers and asked them this question, which of you accuses me of sin? No one could. God is sinless. Now here's two really big words. God is both transcendent, which means he's above us. He's so far above us. In other words, he's not as Mormons say, God was once a man. As he now is, we shall one day be. That's Mormonism. That's not Christianity. God is transcendent. He's above us. But he's also imminent. Who knows what imminent means? Near and close. Very near and close. So God right now is standing just behind you, looking at you. He's close. And... Here's an interesting concept, again, completely different to Islam or Judaism. You are you because inside you is this thing called self-consciousness. This might hurt your head a little bit, but let's see if we can figure this one out. Do you realise when you're thinking? Most of us do. You can think about your thoughts. We say things like, the other day I was thinking. So you remember your thoughts. You're aware of your thoughts. You can, think you can think about thinking. How do you do that? It's because you are a 
self-aware person. You're aware of yourself. It was Rene Descartes who famously said, I think, therefore, I am. That's called self-consciousness. You're, you're conscious that you are a person. When you, when you go to make a choice, a decision, you are aware, I could choose this one or I could choose this one. How do you know you have a choice? Because you have self-consciousness. So, as uh, famously I shared a, um, a lecture room with uh, Dr John Sands, who made the point that you could, if, if you chop off a person's arm, does that make them less human? No, not at all. What about if you chop off their leg as well? What if we chop off the other arm? What if we take off their shoulders, their ears, their nose, take out their mouth, blind them, take out their eyes? Are they still human? Yes, yes they are. In fact, Dr Sands recently sent me a, a picture of someone who was severely damaged in a landmine explosion who literally lost arms and from here down, including genitals, lost a lot and is a functioning torso with a head. Um, is that person a human? Yeah, absolutely. They are. In other words, you, it's not just your physicality that makes you human. So what is it that makes you human? Inside of you is a centre of self-consciousness. We're going to use, we, in the, the Bible uses a word, it's called the word soul to describe that. The God that we worship is one being with three centres of self-consciousness, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. That makes him unique <laughs> to all the other world religions. They do not teach that. Now, what, what else makes the Bible unique in its claims about God? It, it, it secondly, it, its claims about man. What, what does the Bible say about us as mankind, as people? It says, firstly, we were, uh, man is a created being. We were created. Mormonism doesn't believe that, by the way. Mormonism says you are eternal. You're in a pre-existing waiting room, waiting, and then you were born into a body on earth. And when you leave this earth, you'll go back to your eternal state. That is not Christianity. That's Mormonism, though. Don't be fooled. Secondly, man was created morally innocent. Now, I've heard people say Adam was created perfect. That's a stretch. Adam was created innocent. He had not sinned. But to call him perfect is actually to call him God. Just a detail. It was created innocent. Thirdly, mankind was created to respond to God. How? Like a robot? No. In love. We were created to respond to God in love. And therefore, man was given the freedom to choose to love or not to love. And the fourth thing about that is that man chose not to love. And now, the image of God... In man, man was created with that image, created to freely choose to love God, is now distorted. And everybody born since that first man, Adam, distorted the image of God when he said to God, I'm not going to love you, is now born with inherited sin. 
so. Thirdly, what makes the Bible unique? It's claims about the nature of salvation. You see, in Islam, there's no sin. Islam does not consider morality or sin to be the issue. It considers your submission to Allah to be the issue. In fact, that's what the word Islam means. It means to submit to Allah. That's what the word Muslim means, one who is submitted to Allah. How do you become a Muslim? You, you simply utter a sentence. And, and I'll tell you what the sentence is, and it won't make me a Muslim because I don't believe it, and I don't believe it for good reason. But it goes like this. Allah is one and Muhammad is his prophet. That's it. You're a Muslim. That's how it is in Islam. That's not how it is according to the Bible. It's not about the words you utter. So, so what do we need to know about salvation? Number one, mankind cannot save himself. There's nothing you can do to make yourself right with God. That's the clear teaching of, of the Bible. Secondly, salvation has resulted from, I'm going to use some really big words and hopefully explain them. Gracious, you didn't deserve it. Vicarious, vicarious means someone's your substitute. Atoning work of Christ. And that this salvation, which is the only way you can get to heaven, is transacted by believing on Jesus Christ. Believe on Jesus Christ. That's why I'm not real big on say these particular words. That's an Islamic idea. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And that believe on doesn't just mean I think there is a God. That's, that's, that's not believing on. Believing on means active trust. I demonstrate my trust that I believe God has saved me. Now, as we look at these two verses... I want you to realise that the, the problem of the world is evil. In other words, the world's biggest problem is evil. Evil is a problem. People do evil things. When people hit the World Trade Centres, uh, the Twin Towers in New York, that was an act of evil. When someone went on a shooting rampage, what was it? Uh, I, well, Norway recently, I was trying to think of the exact date. I think it was, was it April 30, 19... 96 down at Port Arthur. I remember the day. That was an act of evil. And Norway, you're right, was just sheer, unadulterated evil. This world is riddled with evil. There are evil things that happen. I'm, I've nearly finished uh, Eric Metaxas' book on Bonhoeffer. Brilliant. And I know some of you have read it. But as, as he describes... Adolf Hitler. You, you, there are times I've just got to think, this man was evil incarnate. He was so evil. In fact, um, the, the Valkyrie uh, plot to kill Adolf Hitler was because several of his colonels began to say among themselves, he is, exact quote, evil incarnate. And so this world has the problem of evil. But the problem with looking at the problem of evil is that evil may be closer to each of us than we realise. 
so. This is where the Bible, as we look at this verse in particular, it, it, the old time has had an expression to sum up this idea about how it describes mankind. And it's called this, the total depravity of man. What does that mean? It sounds like... And foam coming out of the mouth and, you know, fingers going... How? <laughs> That's what it sounds like. Total, you're totally depraved. And we, we, we lock people up that we call totally depraved. So what does it mean? Everyone's totally depraved. Well, it doesn't mean lock them up. Well, it could. In fact, if you went around doing that, probably would. But what it means is that there's nothing in us that can ever earn the right to be in heaven. Nothing. Compared to how good God is, we are totally depraved. And that's the problem we as human beings have because we don't compare ourselves with God. We compare ourselves with someone who's worse than us. Now, I've set it up. We're only looking at two verses. So let's look at the first one. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. This is what it says. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Now, I just want you to note that the Bible does not present that statement in a vacuum. It does not make that statement as if that's how we all are, we all were, that's how we were created. No, we were not created with a heart that was desperately sick and deceptive. We were created with a heart to respond to God. We were created with a heart that had freedom to choose. I will love God or I will not. And our heart was predisposed to choose to love God. And mankind did not. And everyone born since then is born with a heart that is deceptive above all things and desperately sick. So the next time you point a finger at Charlie Sheen, you point a finger at whoever, and it may not even be a celebrity. It may be your pastor who does something stupid. Well, sorry. It may be that you find out that your pastor has done something stupid. And there you are talking and finger wagging. Did you hear what Andrew's done? What's he done this time? You know, it's like, you don't even have to be Charlie Sheen. The heart is desperately sick, deceptive above all things. Wow. Because we are so quick to point the finger at someone else and we don't recognise our own heart and our own heart condition. So, who can understand it? Wow. Wow. Now, this thought that God knows your heart and he knows your every thought is either a wonderful comfort to you or it's not. You know, I've, I've, I've thought about this over communion. As I partake of communion, how would I partake of this differently if I was there at Golgotha? I was there. I saw him on the, on the cross crucified. How would I partake of this? Would I be flippant would i be irreverent would i be no oh, no what am i gonna have fun? would i be distracted or would it grip my soul 
The fact that I now belong to Christ and Christ is in me and Christ is with me and Christ is everywhere I go and his eyes don't quite burn into the back of my head, but I feel his gaze. And I'm reminded of the times when the disciples were with Jesus and when Philip first met Jesus. And as Andrew introduced Philip, Philip, this is, he was called Nathaniel, uh, this is Jesus. And Jesus just says to him, Philip, you've just come from sitting under a tree where you were pondering this question. And Philip goes, whoa, who is this? And then, of course, there's that dinner party where Simon, the Pharisee, was hosting a dinner party for Jesus. And there's Simon, the Bible says, thinking to himself, if only Jesus knew who this woman was who was crying over his feet and wiping his feet with her hair, he would not want her touching him. And Jesus turns to Simon as if Simon had just might as well have just spoken it out. And he says, Simon, I'll answer your question what would you be thinking right then if you were Simon? And it's the same Jesus we worship today. Well, he knows your every thought. So, the last part of this verse says this, to give to every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. You know, God does not judge if he does not judge all evil, he is not just. Now, as I read about Adolf Hitler and the atrocity that he committed, the atrocities he committed, there are some people that say Jesus Christ died on the cross and everybody's saved, they just don't know it. That's called universalism. Jesus Christ has died to save everybody. Everybody is saved. You don't have to be particularly religious. Everybody's going to heaven anyway. What that person is saying is this, God is not just. He will not do what the last part of that verse says. Give to every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. And it's really saying Adolf Hitler right now, who died in the arms of his mistress, is now enjoying an eternal comfort right next to Mother Teresa, right next to the apostles in heaven. Does that sound just? It doesn't to me. And it's not what the Bible presents. If God does not judge all evil, he's not just. He's not just. There will come a day when God will judge everyone. Now, it was when I was about 16, 17 or so, that this became a reality to me as I learned what I had been saved from. Now, the really good news is before we look at this is that the new covenant says this. I'm going to take out your heart of stone, your distorted heart. This is the prophet Ezekiel 36, 26. And he says this, I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That's what Jesus Christ does to those who believe on him. That's the new covenant. Now, the closing book of the Bible in the third last chapter of the Bible pictures this day of great judgment. Revelation chapter 20 verse 12 says this, And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according 
to what they had done. That was the first time, even though I'd been to church as a young kid, now I'm 16, 17, and I, I hear this statement, the books will be opened. Not just the book of life, the books. What I've done, what I've thought, and what I've said. Matthew twelve thirty six, Jesus said, every word you utter is recorded in heaven. Whoa. Every deed I've done is recorded in a book. And every prayer I pray, the psalmist says, is like a tear kept in a bottle. The books will be opened. Wow. And if you haven't got Jesus in your life, another way of saying that, if you haven't got the heart that God offers you, then you'll stand before God with a heart of stone, with a heart that's utterly deceived above all things, desperately sick. And I'm here today to plead with you, have a heart transplant. Let Christ take your heart of stone out and give you a heart of flesh, a heart that walks around with an awareness. You, you won't need a WWJD wristband. You won't need it because the Holy Spirit will be with you. You will live with a sense of his presence. You will feel his gaze. You will understand that everything you say represents him in some way. You'll understand everything you do represents him. You'll understand everything you think and feel. He sees it. So, we read two verses after the famous John 3.16, this amazing statement. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. There will come a day of judgment. God will judge. He will open the books. And Jesus says this, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Now that word believe is not like, oh yeah, okay, I reckon. It's an active trust. It's a present continuous action. It means you place your life in his care. And how do you do that? To the Hebrew, there's no word faith. There's no such word. It's only the word faithful. In other words, the way you live, whether you are faithful to the God you claim to believe in, is the only test. The heart is deceitful above all things. It is desperately sick. I don't want to go and stand before God with that heart. And I don't want any of you to either. How does your life change when God gives you a new heart? word radically it totally changes so here's the question which heart will you stand before god with the heart that he wants you to have or the one that you're clinging to man may have a heart that is deceitfully wicked but god can and wants to give you a new heart let him in Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Jeremiah Part 43, The Heart of the Problem, are available via the website findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. 
We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.